Good morning, Varian. So glad you're joining us this morning here in green, and I want to welcome those that are joining us online as well. So glad you're here with us. And, uh, and I guess I'll stick to the teaching, and we'll leave the music to others. Uh, but uh, it's great to be here and to continue investigating Jesus. And we're doing this, why? Because to get to know Jesus is to get to know God. And as we grow closer to Jesus, we grow closer in a relationship with God and deepen that, uh, that relationship. Um, last, last week, we looked at Jesus' reaction to religion. And today, we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with a religious person. So we're going to continue to investigate Jesus. And we're learning from the book of John, which is written by one of Jesus' closest friends, and giving us an insider view on, on who Jesus is. His purpose, his ministry, what it's driving at, and where, where his ministry is going. Uh, I want you to think for a second with me about, about a situation. It kind of gives us the, the context for what we're going to look at this morning. Have you ever been in a group where you knew the, the vast majority of the people around you did not have the same opinion on a certain topic that you did? A lot of you perhaps have. Uh, where everyone around you is thinking one way and maybe you're thinking another. You've got a different viewpoint or opinion. Uh, my family and I lived in the Ithaca area for a, for a bunch of years. <clears throat> and, uh, and I found almost every time I was in a large group of people, I differed with them. <laughs> uh, I disagreed with them on, on maybe faith, politics, on just general life things, on just ordinary things. And uh, one of the instances, maybe you can share, share that type of situation. One of the instances, a few years ago, I was with a group of pastors, and we were kind of at a, a pastor's fellowship. We were all getting together to sit down, talk, pray, get to know each other. But the, the conversation shifted, and it shifted to politics. And I realized very quickly, as my, my viewpoint was dismissed out of hand right from the very beginning, that I was in a room full of people that disagreed deeply with where I stood. And, and maybe you've been in that type of situation, and my head starts this wrestling match where I'm thinking, oh, I got to jump in, completely disagree with what he just said. Oh, what he said completely disagreed with what he says he believes. It's inconsistent how can I attack this? And then I have on the other side of my wrestling head this voice that says, Shh, just be quiet, just wait it out. And, and I've got this wrestling match going on. Why? Because I felt alone. I felt like everybody in the room thought one way and I thought another. I felt that, that my, my thoughts had been dismissed and I wondered, well, what are they going to say with me? What are they going to say about me? Will I lose my reputation? Will I, will I be dismissed out of hand? And so I wrestled over that. Uh, and I spoke up a few times during that meeting. Uh, maybe you can relate to that. But what I found is I got much more traction throughout the evening as we ate our hors d'oeuvres and talked when I sat down with individuals over a table and just asked them some questions, got them thinking and discussed it together. And that's where I made the connections. That's where I got the the, uh, the traction. But can you think of a time where you've been in a group of people and your view, viewpoint was different to theirs? Maybe, you, maybe coming out of that you felt, I don't know if I can really bring my opinions into the public view. 
Maybe I can't speak up. Uh, maybe I, I have questions, but I don't think I can voice them. In this setting, in this hostile environment, I don't think I can become public. And so we're going to look at a, a Jewish religious leader today who felt that way. He was, he was in a Jewish system which told him he had to think one way, and he started to have questions, and he didn't think he could do it publicly. He didn't think he could go to Jesus right out in the open and identify with him and, and demonstrate that right away. He's kind of kicking the tires on faith. He's kind of trying to ask his questions, but not ready to jump over the, uh, uh, the wall yet. And maybe you're here this morning and you have questions for God. Maybe you're kicking the tires on faith this morning. Well, I'm glad to say that Jesus is a God that welcomes questions. And he welcomed this man this morning that we're going to look at. If you would turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to continue to investigate Jesus, and I'll be on page 853. That's in the chair Bible in front of you. You're welcome to join me with that or your Bible app or the copy of, of the Bible that you brought with you. Uh, if you need a Bible, feel free, feel free to take the chair Bible as our gift. Um, I'm going to jump right into verse 1 here. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And I get to take a double take back when I read that. Did I just read it right? A Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee, came to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. And, and just to give a little context there, a Pharisee was one of the main religious groups in Israel. They were... Uh, they had political connections going back many years in the past. They had religious authority. They, uh, um, they prided themselves on being the best at keeping the law. They kind of saw themselves up here and they saw everybody else down here. They were all wrapped up in the Jewish religious system. And what, if, you remember, if you're here last week or, or go back and look at, at last week's message online, what did Jesus just done in the temple? He... He kind of tore things up, didn't he? He's kind, of, he's kind of tearing it up on the Jewish system. And yet Nicodemus is all wrapped up in the Jewish system. He's a Pharisee. Not only that, it says he's a Jewish leader. We know that he was part of the council, the Sanhedrin. Uh, he had political ties, religious ties, very well respected. And everything about his life, his faith, his, his system... His income, his job, all of his friends, his family, everybody's wrapped up in this Jewish religious system. And yet, he's got so much that would keep him from coming to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that's tearing up the temple court. He's got so much that, that would keep him, barriers that would stop him. He had a lot to lose. He could lose his friends, he could lose his family, he could lose his position, he could lose his income. All of that to lose, and yet he's got all these questions in his mind. Um, the Pharisees earlier in the book of John had sent a delegation to John the baptizer to ask him questions, and John really didn't answer their questions. And I think Nicodemus is saying, well, I got all these questions rolled up in my mind. Maybe Jesus has the answers. 
Maybe he can answer my questions. This man that has such passion for the purity of, of Jewish worship, this man that has, has such miraculous signs that he can do, he, he can only be someone who came from God. He's the one I need to go to. But after Jesus has just torn it up in the temple, I think Jesus, Nicodemus is coming that night. He knows he can't do it publicly with his friends. Uh, but he's maybe a little nervous. He kind of creeps up to the door. He, he knocks. He's waiting. He's curious. Uh, maybe a little afraid. But Jesus opens the door, welcomes him in, and invites him to ask. Take a look at the rest of this verse. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we all know, and I think that's interesting, we all know, <laughs> we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. We know you're from God, and he so much knows that. Nick says, Rabbi. Now, Nicodemus, is a, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, he's a religious leader, he's on the council, and yet he's saying, Jesus, you're above me, you're the teacher. I'm coming to you to learn. And he acknowledges a lot of, of Jesus' authority right here and that he came right from God. Jesus responds. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you're right, I'm from God. But let me get deeper. Let me get to the heart of the issue. You're not going to understand it all unless you're born again. Wait, um, can you be born again? How, how does that happen? How can that happen? Isn't that impossible? How many of us can have a second birth? Nick is a little skeptical too. Take a look at his response. He says, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? How can an old man... Go back into his mother's womb and be born again. Um, Nicodemus is, is schooled in how to debate, and I think he's probably coming up with the answers before Jesus even finishes. He's not fully digesting what Jesus is saying. He, fully, he doesn't really understand it. And he jumps right in and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know how birth works. <laughs> I know how this happens. And once you're out, there's no going back. It just can't happen. <laughs> And, and Jesus is, is seeing the confusion on his face. Nick's doubts are surfacing. He's missing the point. But Jesus continues to help him understand. Jesus replied, verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but holy, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He's saying, you, you missed the point. I'm not talking about physical birth. Yes, of course. Of course, you can't go back into your mom. Of course. He's trying to get him to understand the deeper point of what he's talking about. And so I think he starts to correct him here. And he says, so in verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say. And Nicodemus shouldn't have been surprised. And maybe that's surprising to us, but, but Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He knew the Old Testament. 
He knew it backwards and forward. He'd probably memorized huge portions of the Old Testament. And it sounds, it sounds brand new to me. Born again. Really? How, how could anyone be born again? But it shouldn't have been a new concept for Nicodemus because the prophet Ezekiel had already prophesied about this exact thing happening. And Nick would have known about it. And I think later on he starts putting the pieces together and he'll figure this out. But look what, look what Ezekiel says. He says, I will spring. He's talking about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes and the new covenant is instituted, when all of this changes and all the past is fixed, okay, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and I will give you a new heart I will put a new spirit in you and give you a tender, responsive heart. Ezekiel's prophesying about what's going to happen when the Messiah works, when God changes an individual. That water will be that symbol of forgiveness in these verses. God's going to wash us clean. And that he changes us from inside and puts a new spirit in us. And so Jesus is trying to teach, trying to teach Nick about spiritual change, spiritual transformation. John the baptizer is pointing toward the Messiah's work. Jesus is going to accomplish this. He's going to put a new spirit in us. But but Nicodemus doesn't fully grasp what's going on now. I think he figures it out as he goes later on, maybe as he walks down the street. But I love Jesus' response. He brings it right down to things that all of us can understand. And so Jesus says, let me try to explain this. Verse, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it wants to blow. And Jesus loves to bring things into just real life, things we all experience, things we can understand. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. This is a new change. It's not something you can pinpoint and see. It's not about the outside. It's about interchange from from within. And, and Jesus is using a wordplay here. He says he uses the wind. And maybe, maybe Nick's coming to him on a windy night. Maybe they can hear it outside, outside the, the walls. Maybe a gust swept through and hit the door. And Jesus says, you can hear it. You know it's there. You can go one step further. If they were outside in the fall in New York, they could see it. The, the leaves would be blowing all over the place. But you can't see the wind see the effects. You can hear the effects. You know what it's doing. But it's something that is that you cannot see as it happens. He's saying that's the way it should be for, for a person spiritually. For a person spiritually. God does it from within. Because only God can bring spiritual transformation. Only God can bring spiritual transformation. Who is Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And the Pharisees were very much focused on the outward. They were focused on the outside. 
And, and Jesus is using this, this illustration of the wind. And I, so I brought a, brought a leaf blower, but I'm, I'm not going to turn it on. But I want you to think about the fall when the leaves are all over and they're not where you want them to be. And, and we can use machines like this and we can turn it on and it'll blow wind out, right? And it'll push the leaves where we want them to go so that it ends up in the right place. Well, the Pharisee, I think, is, is like the person who's very concerned that the leaves, all, all the leaves, end up in exactly the right spot. And so they're there along the driveway picking up each leaf and setting it exactly where they want to set it. And Jesus is saying it's not about where the leaves end up. It's about the power and the force and the, the wind that gets them there. It's about what God's doing inside the person blowing out. It's not about the works that they do on the outside. Saying it has to be God on the inside. It's the force that we should be worried about. It's God who we need to get closer to because God changes us inside out. And then the leaves will end up where God wants them to end up. And the Pharisees are all worried about making sure they do all the work to make sure every leaf is in exactly the right place. What matters is heart change from within. Heart change from within. Human power rules. They don't create a new heart. They don't give us life. They can create a, a, a corrupt system, but they will not give us life. Only God can do that. Only God can change us from inside. Nick doesn't get it. He doesn't fully understand yet. And so he responds in verse 9 and he says, he, he responds in verse 9 on the next page of my Bible. How can these things be possible? How can this happen? I don't get it yet. And Jesus replies, I think, maybe a little frustrated at this point. And yes, I just said frustrated. Jesus is, he can get frustrated. He had to deal with the same emotions we, we deal with. He gets a little frustrated here and he says, come on, you're a respected Jewish leader. You're, you're a teacher. He says, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet, you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? It says, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. It's like if anybody was here that could tell you about spiritual things, it's me. And yet you won't even understand the earthly illustrations that I give you. I'm trying to help you understand, but, but you're not getting it. And if I told you about the things that I see in heaven, it would just blow your mind. Jesus finishes here, and I, I love this. Jesus doesn't push Nick away. He didn't say... Come on, go away. I, I've tried my best, but you don't get it. Because what does it take for him to get it? Spiritual change from inside. God had to do the work inside. And so maybe as he's walking home that night, 
maybe Nick is saying, you know, I understand why I didn't get it because God has to change me. But Jesus leaves him with an invitation. Take a look at these next two verses. Verse 14, and, and Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, wait a second. That sounds a little obscure. Uh, Jesus is saying, here, here, and I'm saying, I said this was an invitation, right? And Jesus is saying, well, by the way, remember the snake, and, and that was lifted up, and, and the Son of Man's going to be lifted up. But let me give you a little context. Let me help you understand this, this obscure situation. Israel, Israel was, was a slave in Egypt for 400 years, and God saw their suffering, and he brought them out of Egypt. He, he put plagues on Egypt, and through the Passover, he brings Israel out, crosses the Red Sea into the wilderness, and they don't have enough food to make it all the way to the promised land. And God is directing them day after day where they should go and where they should be. They don't have enough food, so they cry out to God, give us food. Well, they're very demanding people. And, and God gives them food, manna. Israel got to see daily miracles every day. Bread would show up waiting for them. They just had to walk out of their doors, pick it up, and they were provided for for that day. But the Israelites got sick of it. It wasn't good enough. So they complained and they complained and complained. In one situation, God gets fed up with the complaints and he sends a plague and he sends serpents into the camp that that are poisonous and bite, and, and the Israelites die. And so they cry out to God, and they cry out for his healing. And the answer that he gave, the solution that he gave, was for Moses to make a bronze serpent, which was the symbol of the plague, those little serpents that were biting them, the symbol of the plague, and to raise it up, and Israel would look on the symbol of the plague, the symbol of the suffering, and if they trusted that God would heal them, he would heal them. And Jesus refers back to this, this old symbol. And he said, just like that symbol was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. That Jesus would one day die. That he would be put on a cross, that he would be raised up. And I know this is looking forward, and we're looking at the end of the story, but that Jesus would that he would pay for sin. That he would be lifted up and that the, the way to receive new heart, the way to receive spiritual salvation was to trust in Jesus. To look on Jesus in faith would bring spiritual birth. So just as that snake was lifted up, the Son of Man would be lifted up. And, and if you're going to receive God's change from within, the step is to trust him in Faith, to trust and follow Jesus. To look on Jesus would bring spiritual birth. But Nick, Nick's whole life has been ruled by the religious system, been dominated by the religious system. He believes that, that rules could change from the outside, that they would fix the outward appearance in a way that, that you could be born, you could keep the law, and that God would be satisfied, and eventually you could go to heaven. And yet, 
Jesus is indicating that that could never work. That would never happen. That just like in the Old Testament where Israel needed to look on that symbol in faith, that he needed to trust in Jesus in faith and that that would change the, the heart from within. That we were all separated from God. That there was a barrier between us and that that barrier was sin. And that Jesus would be lifted up to, to correct the sin issue. Nick was relying on his religion, but instead what he needed was faith in Jesus. He needed to accept God's interchange. He couldn't do enough to put all the leaves in the right order. Think about what happens after you get them in the right order. Wind comes along and blows them out. You've got to start over again. And it was, you could never do enough. They could never be perfect. He had to accept God's interchange. Not to rely on his religion, but to trust in Jesus. Nick, Nick in this whole, this whole scene, this whole episode in Jesus' life, is kicking the tires on faith. He's asking the questions. He's trying to learn who this Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, what his purpose is. And so I want to I just talk for a couple minutes to those, of, to those of us here that maybe are kicking the tires on faith that haven't decided yet to follow Jesus. John sums up the message. Just take a look at the next couple of verses. The writer John kind of puts a capstone on this whole, whole situation, sums things up from the beginning of John all the way to now and some of the themes, and he says this, for this is how God loved, how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. That physical death won't be the end. That separation from God won't be the end. Will not perish, but have eternal life. John kind of sums it up there. Here's why Jesus came. Here's what he's doing. He came to step over the barrier of sin. He came to pay the price. He came to bring us back to God, to bridge, to bridge the barrier. And Jesus invites us. He invites us to come to him. John continues and he said, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him, to bring us back to God. Jesus invites us to come to him. She continue in this passage, Verse 18 says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But here's the contrast, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So what's the step? The step is to trust in Jesus. Then the condemnation goes away. Then forgiveness is what we have. A close relationship with God is what we gain. And that is why Jesus came. In the next verse, it says, and the judgment was based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light. Too often we think darkness is what will bring us life. For Nicodemus, the darkness was the religion 
all the rules, and they were keeping him from God. For some of us, maybe we can relate to that. Maybe the rules have kept us from a close relationship with God. Maybe for others, it's, it's people that claim to be Christians and, and yet aren't representing God. But there's a big difference between people who, who are, are representing God and, and actually knowing God, right? People fail sometimes. We all fail sometimes. We need to know God. Maybe for you, it's something different. What are you looking to as your source of life? We seek satisfaction and fulfillment. We seek freedom in, in a lot of different things. Maybe, maybe you're looking for just a little stability in this crazy, chaotic world we're in right now. Maybe a little control. And you say, if I just had a little stability, then I'd feel fulfilled. Then I'd feel satisfied. Maybe it's a little prestige at work or the next, uh, the next uh, step up in, in your job and career. And so that, if I just got there, I'd, I'd feel satisfied. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's more money in the bank, a better retirement, and that's where the hope is. Uh, maybe, maybe it's more Instagram followers or more Facebook friends. And, and if I just got to this level, or if I just had a, a viral video, or then, I, then I'd have made it, and then I could relax. Maybe it's a better house or better possessions or relationships. I'd like to have a spouse or I'd like to have a friend. I'd like to have a group of people that I could just be myself with. All of those things are enjoyable for a season, but none of them last forever. People let us down. The things we have in this life fall away, rust, fall apart, disintegrate. They don't bring life. In fact, I think a lot of it steals our life because it takes our energy, it takes our, our effort, it takes our time, it takes our emotions just to keep all that stuff going, just to try to get to that next level. And instead, Jesus just calls us to trust in him for life. And there we may find freedom because Jesus came to overcome all that. I know for me, for me, it was working harder. I felt like if I just worked a little bit harder, I could solve my problems. And so I turned into a workaholic as a young man. And just work a little harder, I can solve the financial problem, or I can solve the, the house problem, or I can solve whatever just broke. And just work a little harder. Or maybe to become a better person, I just got to work a little harder, do a little better, act a little nicer. But you know what? Work breeds more work. And I've learned that. But Jesus came to overcome all this. And he came to give us freedom and he came to give us fulfillment. And his arms are wide open. And if we embrace God's love, then we experience his new life. Life and freedom are not found in the things we can pursue in this world, but they're found in the arms of Christ. To receive his love, we got to be open to that love and open to trusting in him, and then we will find his freedom. But maybe today you're already a Jesus follower and you're thinking, well, what does this matter to me? How does this fit me? 
And, and when we trust in Jesus, we receive that new birth, that spiritual change. We receive a new heart to, uh, to accept his truth, to embrace his love, to then live out his character, to then share that love with other people, to become the hands and feet of Jesus. We, we have a change inside of us. The trouble is, I think it's all too easy to put the barriers back in between us and God and to take some rules back on ourselves. To go back into works to say if, just to be good enough, even to earn God's favor as a believer, as a Jesus follower. We can move back into pride saying, I just want to pursue the things everyone else pursues and that'll make me feel good about myself. We can do that as a Jesus follower. And that separates us from God's love. We don't lose salvation. We're his child. But we kind of walk a path away. Maybe it's life pursuits. It's our passions. It's our projects. It's the thing that take us, take our time and our focus and, and our, our emphasis away from getting to know Jesus and, and into building our own kingdom. And in all of that, we miss out on the freedom of Jesus's love. Rather than living in God's new life, we end up picking up the chains and wrapping them back on. We put the padlock back on. We end up choosing our own power instead of seeking God's power. We end up trying to put the leaves in the right place instead of looking for the wind that is blowing the leaves and seeking God's power within us. But what if, what if we all trust Jesus for new spiritual life. Whether this is your first step in following Jesus, or this is your thousandth day of following Jesus, or 30th year of following Jesus, what if we trusted Jesus for the new life? We didn't try to create it ourselves, but we trusted him for his new life. To walk in it, to live it, to share it, to embrace it, and to give it to others. What if we trusted Jesus? And I believe in that trust, that's where we'll find hope. That's where we'll find fulfillment. That's where we'll find rest. That's where we'll find true life. It's not something we can produce on the outside. It's something that God has to do from within. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you would help us to embrace your love. That you'd help us to embrace your truth. That we would trust that you did come for us. That you lived for us. That you died for us. God, if there's anyone here that's never made the decision to follow you, that they would trust you this morning. That they would seek your, your answer that they would ask you for forgiveness. They'd ask you to come into their life and to, to change them from inside out. God, for those of us who have made that decision long ago, help us each day to trust in you for that life, to trust in you to live out each day, not to try to do it ourselves, but to try to live the life you've already given us 
God, may we embrace your love and may we, may we live your new life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us new and giving us the opportunity and the purpose to have you in our life and to live for you forevermore. May you be honored. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.